Hello and welcome back to Culture Sex Relationships. Uh, I say welcome back. We're all here. Culture Sex Relationships is happening now again as I've pressed record and you're listening. And so the assemblage is alive again. Our, our root system has come alive again and we're all listening together. Um, hi, anyway, it's me, Justin Hancock, uh, your host. <laughs> um, so since last week's episode where I talked about... Um, the Body Without Organs, uh, which is the idea from uh, philosophers Deleuze and Guattari uh, about um, uh, about how we relate to the body. Uh, we uh, So listen more for more of that, dear listener, and readings from um, A Thousand Plateaus. Go back to last week's episode where I was answering a question about what feelings are mine. Uh, since then, I've had some correspondence, so I thought I'd start with that, about the body without organs. So um, I'll read it out. Uh, Uh, They've given me permission to read this out, so... uh, Yeah, so, great. Hi, Justin. Loved your most recent pod. Thank you. I thought I'd answer your question, when when do you become the body without organs? So, remember last week I said, can you give me an example of when you were feeling like... when you felt the body without organs? Um, For me, I experienced a great sense of one... Wait. For me, I experienced a great sense... Uh, on oneness on oneness when I'm at the football I support a league one football team so do I actually I'll talk about that in a sec and I always stand near to the drum which means we should be doing the singing slash chanting throughout the match listening to your podcast I realize that what that feeling is it's not about when something particularly good or bad happens for my football team instead it's about being subsumed into the collective mass of bodies we're all standing in the same place We're all looking at the same thing. We're all singing the same words to the same tune. I'm not religious, but it's the closest I come to the feeling of connectedness as I imagine you get from singing hymns in a religious way. I'm connected to my fellow humans in an incredibly intimate way, and I lose myself. No worries, no anxiety, just pure connection to the other and shared purpose. I think there are plenty of things you can critique about this. It's a group mostly of uh, white, mostly men, and often the football can be an unwelcoming place for a lot of people, myself included. But other times, I think it serves as a concrete example of how small changes can bring about reactions to reactions to reactions. I start to chant. My friend next to me joins in. The people around us start to join in too. The whole world is now singing with us. The footballer on the pitch lifts their head up in reaction. We react to his reaction, etc, etc. I think from listening to the podcast, it made me want to act in the same way. Do an act in a way that invites others others in, to join in a collective goal that we've agreed to do together. Through doing that, we inspire the next onlooker, onlooker, who changes the behaviour of the next person, etc. Love the work you do. I'm proud to count myself among the assemblage. Kind regards, Ben. Well, what a wonderful email that was to receive, Ben. Um, uh, it actually caught me on... Uh, I was having a bad day because I'd had some uh, unwelcome feedback about uh, another one of my projects, uh, which was not in very good faith. And this was extremely nice to get this on this day. So um, that was really, really lovely. Um, and thank you for all the kind messages that you've sent to me over the past few weeks, everybody. But I thought this was really interesting. And I think it's worth kind of spending a little bit of time with. Um, and certainly 
Well, I've been to the football, so uh, in the way that you describe, and um, I'm a Derby County fan, uh, so we're also in League One. Uh, none of us are very happy about that because we think we're a big team and that we should be in the Premier League or certainly in the Championship. Um, so we're all quite frustrated. Um, I don't go to games uh, because, um, well, uh, it's in Derby and I don't live in Derby, I live in London and it's all a bit expensive uh, for me. Um, but uh, I have been to games and I think it's an example of where the Body Without Organs is can be... Uh, a very powerful feeling um, and it can be used I guess for good or evil I think this is the kind of um, I think this is the thing that kind of um, that Deleuze and Guattari were kind of finding in their work is that you know though um, I think they ended up being a bit more neutral about some of these kinds of ideas because you know some sometimes they can be you know they can be used in ways that are that are harmful um, certainly, when I went to see Derby uh, in the 1990s, when I regularly went, that was when um, that was kind of like I suppose what we'd call the bad old days of football, where there was a lot of uh, where we stood on terraces, and I was in the most kind of uh, hooligany uh, bit. Um, I was 14. I was there with a couple of friends. Felt very very young, and everyone was standing and chanting in the way that you're describing, and. Uh, and because we're standing, everyone's moving around, so we kind of got that kind of body without organs kind of effect. But it was very, very scary, very, very masculine, also very white, very racist, very racist chanting going on, which I wasn't taking part in. Um, so there is that kind of, um, there is that way where it can be used, you know, for ill in that way. And I suppose here what we might talk about is... Um, I guess like the ethics behind that are to think about, um, you know, so Spinoza, Spinoza, Barrett Spinoza, who's a philosopher I've been talking about lately, um, would talk about, you know, joy and sadness. And joy is for everyone's, is, is to increase or to augment our capacity to act or think, act slash think are the same thing uh, in Spinoza world. And sadness is the decreased capacity to act and think. And so I suppose it's like, is the body without organs increasing the capacity to act? And, and in your way, it's in, in the way you're describing it certainly is, but it certainly can be used to decrease the capacity to act in, in the sense that it can promote racism or other kinds of very like toxic behaviour, uh, which often comes from men, but not, uh, not only and not solely. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting that you point that out, but I think it's really interesting how you talk about the assemblage of what's happening, about how you're in relation to each other, but you're in relation to the people on the pitch, so the players, who hopefully if, if you're playing, well, I don't know if you, you might be a Derby fan, but if you're not a Derby fan, hopefully you don't have a good game against us. Um, but how... The foot, so I'll read it again. So my, so I start a chant. My friend to me join next to me joins in. The people around us starts joining too. The whole stand is now singing with us. So you're like this huge, like singing machine. You know, hundreds, thousands of you singing this chant. Um, 
possibly about how someone's terrible or about how a team are really good, whichever. Um, and the footballer lifts their head up in reaction. And, they, and you always hear from the footballers at the end of interviews how how they were responding to the fans. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. You know, sometimes, particularly Derby at home, the, because the Derby fans aren't happy with the way our team's playing at the moment and not happy that we're in League One, not the Premier League, sometimes our fans get a bit frustrated and you can hear it. And so it's this thing of affect. There's an affective flow. Like the players are affected. It's, it, it's affecting their bodies. And it means that sometimes they play really well and sometimes they play poorly. Often... If you're a Derby fan, poorly. So it kind of works both ways. But it's really interesting the way you talk about it. I suppose more recent kind of experiences where I felt a similar kind of sense of body weather organs. And not to sound too worthy, um, but um, I mean, it's true. But is when I've been on the demonstrations, the the Palestine Solidarity um, demonstrations. And there's a really interesting um, ACFM podcast, uh, which is produced by Navarra Media, featuring um, Jeremy Gilbert, Nadia Idol, and Kia Milburn, uh, a good Kia. Um, and um, they did a really interesting kind of conversation about demonstrations and protests, which I'd encourage you to listen to. It's quite interesting. Uh, but just my experience of being on these demos is, you know, I'm being gaslit by the media all the time and me and my loved ones being gaslit by the media um, about this. And uh, and we feel like a sense of hopelessness because, you know, out in the UK, we're just not acting and we're continuing to sell arms and we're continuing to... Um, facilitate uh this um the the massacre uh, uh the um plausible genocide happening at the moment in palestine and so it does feel like i'm you know it feels like i'm pretty powerless but when i'm at a demo and i'm taking part in some of the chants and i'm just there with other people and we're walking towards a place and i'm surrounded by placards um, there's a sense of like an assemblage and I do kind of have a sense of um, losing that that kind of uh, becoming more immersed in the crowd like that seeing myself as having kind of a, a dotted line around me that um, rather than like a fixed kind of solid line around me you know my sense of self uh, feels um, more part of the assembled crowd uh, which I find really kind of helpful but also just to be around people who are feeling the same feelings as me and that my feelings get regulated by them. And so that my feelings become conscious in relation to everyone else around me helps me to feel like my feelings are, are valid. Uh, and so that in and of itself is a very kind of a nice kind of way of experiencing a similar thing to what you're describing. Um, and so... In that way, you know, there are lots of instances where we can think about how the body without organs um, uh, might actually operate for us and how it might actually feel. And I think that's a good example of um, of what it might do. And I think the, also, the other thing that you're kind of talking about here as well, which is what you're talking about at the end of your uh, email, which is really, I love the email, is that it made you want to act in the same way. Do an act that invites others in to join in a collective goal we've agreed to together through doing that we inspire the next onlooker onlooker who changes the behavior of the next person etc so what you're describing there is is micropolitics which again is like a from Deleuze and Guattari idea but it is just this thing that when we see everything as being connected to everything else when um, when there is no kingdom when we're not kingdoms within kingdoms when actually we are just connected 
to everything else and that we're all out of the same made out of the same matter which has the potential to relate to and interact with other matter and to move and to move things small acts small acts like this, like you're describing here can have these quite big effects that we don't really know we can't see and we kind of get beyond this kind of uh, things having like cause and effect, but instead we just see the effects and we see the flows and we see the possibilities of what of what might happen, what might emerge. All of this is kind of um, emergent and contingent, and it's uh, and that these possible desiring flows throughout these desiring machines that I was talking about last week when I was doing the reading is, um, you know, is possible. And so I think that also kind of gives might give us pause for some hope and it might help us to kind of understand that you know the kind of the the structured space that we're living in at the moment is producing all of these horrible outcomes but there are glimpses of possible other futures and there are glimpses of resistances but also there are glimpses of these kinds of collective joyous activities where we can all become other and that that has the that has the possibility of actually doing something um so i think that's worth holding on to and and probably like other people i've been finding uh the news uh incredibly distressing and frustrating and disappointing and but um so i think it's important to kind of hold on to these kinds of ideas of the possibilities at least of micropolitics the assemblage and and bodies of their organs um so thank you so much for that really interesting email um dear listener if you want to email in uh times when you felt like you've been the body without organs uh or if you um even if you just just want to email in and tell me about a time recently when you felt at your sparkling best like what were you doing what were you pleased to notice um just something like that you know any kind of um you know, kind of interesting, kind of positive, um, you know, affirmative kind of response that you've been having lately and uh, that you might want to share with me in the audience. Might be really great to for me to read that out on the show too. I um, So as well as that correspondence, I do have a question to answer. So um, I'll make this brief because I think I've covered this recently on a podcast, so I'm not going to go into this in too much detail. But uh, it's to do with orgasms and, and coming. So... Uh, we're getting sexy on the show again, and but obviously I'll read it out in my usual matter-of-fact dull voice to completely de-sex this and make it the least sexy thing you'll ever hear in your life. Um, that's kind of, you know, it's my mode. Um, so, uh, the uh, too long didn't read is, how can I make my, how can my girlfriend make me come? Sorry. How can my girlfriend make me come? During sex with my romantic partner, uh, she and... Uh, sorry, I'm reading this wrong. During sex with my romantic partner, I rarely get an orgasm by her touch, manual clit stimulation. But I do come by vibrator or when I touch myself. She feels distraught about not being able to make me come. I despise this phrase. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, I do get so much more than an orgasm out of our sex. I do think that there are that there is potential for more pleasure slash fun out of sex. Any tips on how? Um, yeah, I've got a few tips. I'm, I covered this in uh, I did I talked about this a lot a couple of episodes ago. I think um, the title of the episode is "What Else Can an Orgasm Do?" Me and Meg John did a show 
Um, quite a few shows on orgasms, I think. If you want to go back through the archive, and we did some accompanying blogs for those as well over at megjohnandjustin.com. Um, I think we did one about we did one about how can I reliably have orgasms, and I think some of our advice in there is probably really relevant. I might end up repeating myself a bit, but um, you know, as I learn as an educator, every time I speak about orgasms, I probably have something different to say, something new that I've learned um, that I've learnt. Um, yeah, I think in that episode, what else do orgasms do? I talked about my experience with this and how um, and how through a process of uh, you know I learnt to have uh, multiple orgasms without ejaculation. So I'm I have a penis. I'm male bodied. Um, I learnt to have how to have series of lots and lots of orgasms without ejaculation, like non ejaculatory orgasms, which feel very whole body and very intense and and wonderful i kind of learned by mistake really by kind of accident because i was reading about mindfulness and i'd bought a new sex toy and i was having a break from partner sex because uh, i was doing a lot of therapy at the time and um what i what really the thing i really noticed happening for me was that i was listening to myself more i started making more conscious i was starting to consciously make more noise because uh, a former partner had invited me to make more noise because i was one of those silent people uh, that you get often men are quite silent during sex apparently but uh, I was a little bit quiet and then I started making more noise and then I was doing that when I was by myself and then I noticed the noise and then I started to notice kind of things spiraling so I noticed the noise I noticed various sensations I reacted to that then I reacted to that and then noticed some more noise and noticed some other things I reacted to that I might have said oh my god you know, and then suddenly the room starts to feel very different and the bed starts to feel different and the toy I was using or the things I was thinking about start to feel different and new things emerge and, you know, and kind of the my the acoustic of my sounds and what's happening is kind of bouncing off the room and that's feeding back and then I realised that I've got the space to do this because I was in a flat by myself and you know what the possibilities for all of for all of this and my possible like sexual futures and how I was just feeling very kind of I was going through the moment of being in my body but then also kind of like floating on top of it and kind of um, becoming I guess here the body where the organs. And I talk about this in this very boring, matter-of-fact way, just to give you some clues as to the kinds of things that um, you might want to think about incorporating. Because when we talk about, you know, having an orgasm, and then... So all of the terms here that you're using are kind of not helping you, I don't think. So even the terms um, uh, she and I uh, are probably unhelpful. I mean, I know that, I mean, obviously we have to use them because we're speaking English, but just if we think of ourselves as being very separate individuals, so um, she and I, and that one person is doing a thing to another person, this idea of subject and object, then it gets us away from the possibilities of what might emerge between us in an assemblage, like I was just talking about from Ben's email. You know, this possibility of these, of small things that lead to, other things emerging and that we feel not in our bodies but conjoined with other bodies and other and plug, plugging our desiring machine into other people's desiring machines and you know the and what might emerge from that so even the kind of questioning the she and i in your uh, in your in your email i think might be quite useful for you to do to think about what we might be co what we might be generating together so um that whole idea of one person touching somebody else in order that they might do something 
kind of doesn't really make any sense when we address the fact that what well, I get tremendous pleasure from touching somebody else. So, you know, if the pleasure is only had in the person who is, for you talk about having your clitoris stimulated, for example. So, in this subject-object idea of sex, where there is a, a, a subject trying to make an object, trying to make another come, then you would think that it's the person with the clitoris, the other, who would be experiencing all of the pleasure and the other person would be facilitating that um but actually people can really really enjoy that you know people get a lot of sexual enjoyment out of doing that activity and and then the activity isn't one person doing it to another it's both of you taking part in oral sex together it's just one person's tongue on another person's clitoris but the person who has the tongue can possibly be experiencing similar or different kinds of pleasure from the person to the person with the clitoris. So in that way, you both become the body without organs. You're not, it's not just a person with a tongue licking somebody's clitoris, you're both becoming other. Something else is happening. So something emerges from what you're kind of doing. I think going back to kind of my example of you know paying attention to sounds, paying attention to sensations that aren't necessarily the tongue on the clitoris, but paying attention or the finger on the clitoris, paying attention to the bed sheets, what you can hear, the thoughts you might be having, uh, how thing how you or your partner might look at in a particular moment, um, a sexual fantasy you might be having. You have you send me a, a longer email which I'm not going to read, but you do talk about some of the some of the other fantasy elements and some of the other experiences that you've had that you may or may not be able to, to do with your current partner because you're in a monogamous relationship. But you're allowed to think about those things, like you're allowed to fantasize about sex and other people, things, objects, times, situations. Um, and uh, you're, and I think seeing all of this is like this kind of uh, a beautiful assemblage of different things that are just emerging uh, might get you to a point where you're experiencing more pleasure. I also think the other word here in your um, the other words here in your in your in your question that you might want to kind of think about in a different way is is the words come and orgasm so orgasm is very much like um uh, it's it's territorializing pleasure so it's basically saying that pleasure is this particular kind of thing and it has to form it has to um uh it has to be it has to hit this kind of um it has to hit this particular way of that pleasure has to exist. So a, an interesting way of thinking about this is to look at um, the study of sexologists and what they've done in terms of trying to find out what happens during uh, uh, sexual excitement. Okay, And so the classic one of this is Masters and Johnson. Uh, there was a TV show Meg John and I were watching back in the day. It was really fun. It's starring Michael Sheen as William Masters. Uh um, I can't remember who played Virginia Johnson. And then Channel 4 stopped showing it after two series, but apparently there are two more series. I do actually need to get around to watching that again. Anyway, so in the 60s, they did, they created this very, very famous and incredibly popular and way too influential, in my view, um, set of research, which basically found what the, uh, the human sexual response cycle is. So it's like um, excitement... Uh, no arousal, excitement, plateau, orgasm, and then, and then something else, a drop off, and it's like it always happens in this order, 
Um, interestingly, I think Deleuze and Guattari called their second book A Thousand Plateaus because they were interested in the plateau as this idea of you're not coming, but you're excited. And there's that desiring energy that we have in that in that phase of sexual excitement that Masters and Johnson came up with. And what they were doing was that they were watching couples having sex and watching people masturbating and saying, well, what you're doing there is you're experiencing these these four stages. And that's what that is. And they're like, oh, right. So I'm experiencing I'm experiencing those. So there was like, I think there's an element of confirmation bias in that. But then when anyone talks about sexual excitement or sexual response, that's what people talk about. And it always ends in orgasm. So the whole way that many aspects of sexology have been conducted much research into sexology and like human sexual response cycle has been this focus on the orgasm as the thing the goal and again if we're applying this kind of uh, post-human kind of response this kind of idea of of uh, everything being in relation uh, that there aren't these individual things that exist in and of themselves these essential units of things but that everything is part of an emergent um uh, flow are uh, in relation to lots of other things happening in the external world everything is made out of the same substance everything is moving in relation to everything else then or the word orgasm is only a thing that we can kind of uh is only a kind of like a, only then becomes like this kind of um a kind of a useful kind of signifier for something that may or may not happen and actually rather than to try to make it happen we can just say well um what what might an orgasm do or what might sexual pleasure do i think so taking the emphasis on the word off the word word orgasm and instead being interested and curious about what's actually happening with our bodies and the way i was just describing in the, paying attention to all the different sensations that might be happening might lead us to lots of other kinds of sexual pleasures sexual responses um thoughts ideas Again, I did talk about this in my episode, uh, what else do orgasms do? But I think that's basically my answer. I think another answer I used to give as well is you could try not having an orgasm. And this is when, when people feel distraught about not being able to make someone do something or not being able to make somebody come, then it might be a good idea just to say, well, we're not aiming for this. I don't want to have one. Let's not try to have one. But instead, let's just try to enjoy sex as much as we possibly can. Um, but not have an orgasm and that way you deterritorialize yourselves you you're 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 taking away the power of the word orgasm and instead what you're doing is that you're moving to this like smoother space where you are embracing a more body without organs approach where um you're no longer having sex in the way that william masters and johnson told you to have sex you're doing it in ways that you are finding is working for you you know you are finding your own kind of your own way of doing it um and so i think that is really useful that you just it's a really good idea just to get into this idea that you write your own manual that you write your own ways of doing sex which leads me to a nice plug uh i've got your email address so i'll send you a copy of this but uh dear dear listener who wrote in but um Meg John and I wrote a zine called uh, Make Your Own Sex Manual, which came out at around the same time as our uh, book, um, Enjoy Sex, How, When and If You Want To, which has been republished as Sex, A Practical Guide by Icon Books. I think both of these resources will be really useful to you. I'll send you the zine, dear listener, but uh, you, you'll have to buy the book yourself. It's very cheap. It's like seven quid or something. Um, and if you buy it via my bookshop, um, buy it via the links that you'll find via... Um, 
via my link tree, then uh, I earn um, affiliate cash from whenever you uh, buy through that. So you'll be supporting my work and the show by buying the book through that. But, you know, we've got lots in there, which is basically helping you to re-educate yourself um, about sex and relationships and how you might do it differently. Uh, you know, like I said, like I've been saying recently, I hope I'm not just repeating myself over and over again on this show, but <laughs> um, I think if we didn't have any sex education at all, we'd probably have a much better relationship to sex and relationships. Like so much sex education, both the formal and the informal and the discourses surrounding sex and relationships, Things like t- things like people telling us that we must have an orgasm, uh, and that this is what pleasurable sex is to experience an orgasm. Um, all of those things get in the way of us actually enjoying it. You know, it's that which is really difficult. So, um, those resources, particularly the zine, is really good, but the book too, um, are resources to help you navigate these discourses and to really and to find your own sense of. Your sexual selves or, or your sexual assemblage your sexuality assemblage um and if you want actually i did record a show with girl on the net friend of the show uh erotic writer blogger supreme uh, if you go back and look for the assemblage, i think we talked about erotic writing in the assemblage if you want to hear a bit more about assemblages and the sexuality assemblage uh, which is a paper written by um Pam Aldred and Nick Fox, uh, which is really, really useful. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right, that's enough of me rambling. Um, Thank you so much, dear listener. Again, if you have any uh, correspondence you'd like me to read out on the show, things that have been working for you, things that you're pleased to notice, times when you've been the body without organs, uh, send it in to culturesexrelationships at gmail.com or you can send me a message via an anonymous Google form uh, link to that in the bio for wherever you're listening to this show. Um, okay, so that's all for this week. Thanks to my patrons who are paying me to make the show. Um, and if you want to support the Patreon for just a quid a month, then um, head over to patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships or head to megjohnandjustin.com and buy one of our resources. Um, and also, if you want a coaching session with me, uh, uh, head to justinhancock.co.uk to find out about my coaching service, my solution-focused coaching service. Okay, that's enough plugs, that's enough talking, that's enough podcast. It'll be a couple of weeks at least before the next podcast because I'm going away for work, mostly work. I'm going to eat a lot of pasta, drink some red wine in northern Italy. Um I'm hoping Derby County win this afternoon. I'm hoping, Ben, that your team wins, as long as they're not playing Derby County, in which case I hope you lose. Um, your goalkeeper's terrible. Uh, your your shirts are rubbish. Um, uh, I don't know. I have no idea who your team is, but I'm just saying the kind of things that you know football fans are meant to say. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm going to stop talking now. Right then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.